Hello, and welcome back to Getting to the Top, the podcast where I interview transformational leaders about their leadership journey. And I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today. Today, I have with me Cavell Joseph St. Omar, president of HR Matt, uh, HR Management Association of Trinidad and Tobago, which is a globally recognized human resource executive with over 20 years of experience working to effectively balance big picture thinking and strategic planning with hands-on execution. Her passion is providing HR solutions for her colleagues and clients and helping them build their HR infrastructure through technology, compliance, and people. She's a member of the board of directors of the National Training Agency, where she serves as chairperson of the Finance, Investment, and Procurement Committee. She's presently the public relations officer of the Arthur Lockjack Graduate School of Business Alumni Board and a director of the Epoch Foundation. She's also a past member of the board of governors of Nehurst. In 2016, she was recognized as one of the top 100 global HR professionals by the World HRD Congress and her accolades go on and on. She is one of the most vibrant and innovative, not just HR professionals, but one of the most vibrant and innovative professionals in the region. And I'm so delighted that she's decided to spend some time with us today. Thank you, Cavell. Well, thank you, Raquel, for the invitation. I was deeply honored when you actually reached out to me because I didn't exactly consider myself like some of the women that you've previously interviewed. And um, so, so I must say, I appreciate the invitation and I felt honored, to be honest. So thank you for having me. Wonderful. And you're in great company and you are well among your peers. So I really wanted to, you know, and and I, I was talking to Cavell about all of the work that she does with the, with the HR Management Association and how... You know, it's one of the more active associations that we have. People are engaged. People are excited. They turn up to events. And it is all because, and I know that she has a phenomenal team, and she will say that they do a lot of the work, but it is all because of the absolute vigor that Cavell has. She ensures that these things happen. It is, and you, you talk to anyone, they will tell you. The association is as active as it is because Cavell ensures that it is. So were you always like this or where did you start out? How did you decide that you wanted to be uh, an HR professional? And so that's three questions in one. So we'll get started with how did you get started and were you always this way? Well, I think I always had that energy and passion um, for the things that I love. And, you know, when you love what you do, it absolutely becomes enjoyable you want to see whatever you're involved in um, to be, you know, you want it to be successful. And you definitely have that energy and vigor, as you've described, towards um, any activity associated with it because you love it. So for me, my journey in HR is accidental. I always say that because it wasn't necessarily my intention to be an HR practitioner. But in fact, my first degree is economics and law. And I attended um, University of the West Indies Cable Campus. And it was my original intention to pursue a career in law and to eventually be an attorney at law. I was very argumentative as a child, <laughs> um, loved to debate, right? And much of a, a chatterbox, as they will say. So in my report cards, you would see Cavell talks too much, Cavell distracts the class, you know, those usual comments uh, <laughs> that we got back in those days. So so back then, I mean, I, I attended Cape Hill and, you know, that the intention was real in terms of this the, the pursuit of law. 
and I returned home every holiday and would work in my family's business. My father is a contractor, and I mean, I, I must say I must thank him for the foundation and the work ethic that I currently have, and um, that that passion to get up early and to to pursue an honest day work because that is the principles that he. He, he he founded his business on and he impassed he imparted onto us right so in those days i i worked for him and um i recognized that the hr function was missing and you know with most family businesses the owner is everything the marketing person the finance person um in this case as a contractor he's out there in the workshop as well too and he recognized the people issues weren't being addressed and I just accidentally started to work on some of these things because I was doing law. Um, I visited the employment contracts um, because of my personality and my love for um, engaging with people in general. I mean, I hosted family days for the first time and corporate activities that the employees did appreciate. And I realized, hey, you know, this is something that I actually like and I enjoy doing and I like interacting with people develop policies and procedures along the way. And I recognize why not pursue this in a formal way and pursue it as a career. And I mean, that's how I entered into HR. So after I completed my first degree, I attended the Atta Lovejack Global School of Business where I pursued my master's and specialized in human resource management. Thereafter, I did my diploma in industrial relations. I did a bit of mediation because that also is important in my field of studies and in my profession. And there you go. Um, I cemented myself with having the necessary background and skills. And then I, I, I established the HR department in my family's business and eventually moved on to the public sector and private sector other organizations and where I practice now um, in a leading role of a major state entity in the divisional, in the capacity of divisional manager of human resources. And along the way, I added to my credentials. So I'm internationally certified as well. I often say to people, whatever your career is, no matter what it is, make sure you are the subject matter expert at what you do. Continue as learning and investing in yourself, in learning what's happening, because every profession is evolving and changing. And HR is a science, contrary to um, what beliefs there may be about it, where people may say it's so soft. In fact, today at our Hermat event, um, someone was saying they still don't understand the role of HR in an organization. So really? there's still people out there who see it as something soft, intangible, and not really beneficial to their organizations. But I'm here to say otherwise. There is science behind it. Um, it's a social science. And as any other field, it's evolving. And as a consequence of that, I continue to pursue academics and learn and grow. And that's why I'm so involved even with HERMAT, because it allows me to stay current and to stay on top of my game, because I couldn't lead the function and be a part of my executive team and be involved in strategic planning as I am and not be in a position where I'm informed about what's happening in my sector, what can we expect as we enter into and, and navigate the fourth industrial revolution, for example, what can we expect about the future of work? I can have those conversations with leaders if I myself wasn't grounded um, in the theories and practices and everything about my chosen profession. So yes, that's that's how I accidentally got into HR, Raquel. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it was a natural, it was where you were meant to be. So, but what had attracted you to law? I mean, apart from the fact that you talked a lot as a child and you were argumentative, what did you think that you would do? What would what did you feel like was your purpose with 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 law? 
Well, honestly, I think I'm a natural advocate. And that mm. is what attracted me the most, the advocacy part of it, because you have to advocate for someone, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's to prove their innocence or guilt or whichever side of the pendulum um, I may have found myself. Um, the element of research, of getting to the back end or to the end of, you know, just trying to understand the story and building a defense and how you build that defense. Those are the things that I found attractive about the profession. Mm-hmm. And um, even because of the influence of the television programs I looked at as a child, Law and Order. I mean, I don't know why I was so obsessed with so many law programs, even Lincoln Lawyer today. Um, <laughs> I understand the second season is coming out pretty soon. So I often found myself gravitating towards even television programs that were grounded in law in some form or fashion. And as a consequence of that, um, I felt it was my cho- you know, some, something that because of, I, I gravitated towards it so much, that I felt maybe that is the career, that was the career for me. But the interesting thing is, is that there's a lot of law in HR, right? Mm-hmm. So what has happened as a consequence of my background with economics and understanding figures, numbers, and being comfortable with it, then with my legal background and understanding the law, it makes me a very dynamic practitioner. And my approach to my field now is very different. I may be very different to other practitioners because of my unique background and experience. So I naturally have an affinity to researching and to understanding and interpreting um, legislation. And HR is grounded in legislation, especially in our jurisdiction Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the industrial relations. There are several pieces of legislation that govern what I do. And as a result of my background, it has all got well for me and made me a little bit unique and more dynamic as a practitioner as well. So it it, it kind of worked out well in the end, as you said earlier. (laughs) So then, you know, one of the things that I noticed was just how many people were working uh, the the HR function that that you hosted today that was so exquisitely executed and what is it like leading an organization where you're working with volunteers who are volunteering their time how do you lead how how do you lead volunteers separate from leading employees well there's such a big difference and volunteerism is a little bit more challenging because um there isn't legal terms of engagement per se, mm-hmm. and there isn't reward and recognition in the end. Um, it makes it very difficult to work in a volunteer capacity or to lead an organization that is strictly based on volunteerism and commanding the time and energy and attention of volunteers. It's not the same as you would do when you have a contract of employment. And I say here what, I am contracting you for these eight hours or how many hours, Mm -hmm. This is your um, terms and conditions. Um, This is how you will be rewarded for good work and good performance, right? And where your performance is being assessed. In the world of volunteerism, there is assessment because you you have to present before an AGM, right? And Mm -hmm. your members shred it a bit sometimes if they're not satisfied with how they see the association going or the financial performance of the association. But with volunteerism, you find that sometimes even on the board, um, you see people enter into organization for varying motives. You know, mm. what motivates them for even joining and serving might differ. And sometimes it may it may be so different from the intent and purpose for why the organization was created. 
Mm. And you always have to be guarded against things like that in terms of why people are there in the first place. Mm -hmm. We've seen time and again where people have misused um, organizations um, for ulterior purposes that may be financial or non-financial in nature. So even navigating that and understanding it and trying to make sure that you don't find yourself being a part of an organization or an entity like that is critical. So for me, I often like to see who's a part of it. I want to make sure there's structure. So there must be bylaws. I want to ensure that there's an AGM. So there are other organizations that has approached me in the past. And I said no to it mm -hmm. because they've never hosted an AGM. I've mm -hmm. never seen financial reports. These are things, governance things that really help um, keep you in check, keep you honest, stay members as well too, as to why we can, why we do what we do. So those are some of the challenges because the structures are not necessarily in place. It's mm -hmm. under-resourced most of the time as well too. So you find yourself having to come to people like yourself and say, hey, what, can you assist me with this? This is what I could do for you in the end if you were to support this particular initiative. So it's under-resourced, um, governance issues, lack of structure, and of course, getting people to perform and to be motivated in a system where the rewards and recognition may not necessarily be there or non-existent in some instances. So that's the major distinction. Um, we could we could separate with an employee, go through a process of, of course, natural justice and where we try to ensure that it's progressive discipline, but you can definitely separate yourself with an NGO. It's a bit more challenging and it, it happens at an AGM unless someone chooses to resign as the case may be. So there, there's some unique differences, but um, all well enjoyable. Now, if you've mastered working in a volunteer organization, um, trust me, you could figure it out very easily in the corporate world because it is really a lot more challenging eh, um, to get things done. And um, when you're not profit driven as well, too, you know, um, but once you can master that, I, you could you could work anywhere. <laughs> my humble opinion that is of course <laughs> so how 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 do you keep the team the the hermat team that you manage how do you keep them motivated how do you keep them focused how do you keep them delivering against the objective yeah well the good thing is i have a solid team to be honest um of course not everyone functions at the same level at any given time um the team is not always running like a like a marathon or a sprint sometimes some running at the marathon pace and some sprinting right mm -hmm. so you find that happening within the team um what we try to do um raquel and anyone who knows me is to recognize and celebrate achievements along the way find ways for people to benefit from what they do as well too so you want to ensure that there's some the, all of the, your, your capacity or your ability to reward may be limited but you find a way where there's some material benefit to them through the association, whether you're now recognized as a, as a writer, as in the case of Hermat, or as a subject matter expert, where you're recognized as one of the top people in our field, in our industry, whether you get to promote your goods or services, you might be a consultant, and the association provides you with the platform for you to promote yourself in a in a way while you volunteer. So you find ways to reward them within the system and the limitations that you have. You find ways to celebrate the wins. So you spoke about the event today. And I mean, after I had a chance to return to work, had a, a couple of meetings, I WhatsApped, I WhatsApped the team and I you know I thanked them for their efforts and you know, I, I provided some feedback to them. Um, expression of gratitude is important to me. And we do make time for fellowship from time to time. 
we did have the pandemic that impacted us significantly in terms of our ability to gather. But now that things are open, I did say to them next month in July, we'll be definitely meeting up in person and have a celebration along the way as well. So you find different ways within the system legitimately um, to connect um, the individual goals and objectives to the organization goals and objectives. And the minute you can find a balance between the both, where through this organization and my work and efforts towards the development and advancement of this organization, I can also advance myself personally and professionally. Once you can find the right balance between that, um, that is what that is what helps the team to stay motivated. And that is exactly what is happening at HUMAT. And I'm seeing it now where um, even a member of our board right now will be speaking at Disrupt HR, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. And this is our first real big speaking um, event. And it's all, it's almost like the TEDx platform mm. where um, that approach to, 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 to delivery of, of a speech, or I should not speech, but that delivery of a presentation. Um, it's similar to that. So it's also training ground for that kind of forum. So we are providing avenues where we support our board members in different ways so that they can advance themselves. So although they're doing this work and they're doing it for free, there's some material benefit on the other end that they will be rewarded in another space, not necessarily by Hermat, but somewhere else. So it's really a mixture of, of those things yeah I love that so it sounds like for you volunteerism apart from the fact that you are a, a masterful volunteer that you would recommend volunteerism for others who are looking to grow in their career looking to grow in their skill set looking to develop new relationships looking to network that volunteerism is a great way to do that certainly and um, I have responsibility in my career for recruitment and selection Mm -hmm. And Raquel, I could tell you when we look at hundreds of resumes, because the labor market presently is what it is as it relates to demand um, far less than the supply. The supply exceeds at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So if I had to look at 100 or 150 applications for one position, and I had to shortlist you, someone who actively participates an organization who was involved in, in campus activities, they would certainly be shortlisted ahead of someone who doesn't have that kind of background. Volunteerism, I will always recommend to a young professional for many reasons. You develop skills that you don't necessarily get to develop in your traditional career or in the workspace. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I first started off very young, um, I just graduated out of the University of the West Indies. And my one of my early mentors in life, Ms. Cardo, she asked me to volunteer at South Aid Support. Father Harvey was the chairperson of that board, and I was the secretary on the board. Now, I, I shared with you that I did law initially, so my mm -hmm. bachelor's um, is in law and economics. And I was able to use that background to assist with developing bylaws, doing the minutes of the board meeting, with filing annual returns for that organization. Now, in my job, I did not have that responsibility. So that 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 skill or my knowledge and competency in that area wasn't utilized in my career, in my job, but I mm -hmm. utilize it at the NGO, right? Mm -hmm. So you find different aspects of your personality. You're, it's able to come out and shine in a, in a volunteer way, in, 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 in volunteerism, mm -hmm. um, and you may not be utilizing it in your career or in your chosen 
feel or in, in a place of employment. So for me, that's one great thing in terms of developing competencies and skills that is definitely marketable going forward as well too. The other thing is in networking. Now, I've met some fantastic people along the way. I've shared with you, Father Harvey was the first chairman that I've had, and he had remained, he remained someone special to me up to today, right? Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, Raquel, I say jokingly that I'm always surrounded by somebody who's always willing to pray for me. <laughs> or <laughs> I don't know. It, it just happens that way, to be honest. Eh? Yeah. I don't know what it is about me, but if it's not a priest, as a canon, as a pastor, it's somebody that, <laughs> that is around me that wants to pray for me or pray with me, or teach me how to pray, right? Mm -hmm. So I had that very early in life. And I learned so much from him. He was one of my earlier mentors. And I moved on to Turtle Villa Trust, where I met the president of BP, because I, I mean, BHP and BP were major funders of that organization. And they mm -hmm. were able to see skills in me. And these are people who would recommend you for things and call your name in spaces that you're not even, you're not even there. You're not, a conversation is happening and your name is being called and in on the wiser. So it, it allows you to network and for people to see your skills. And sometimes you don't even have to be interviewed for a job. It's a recommendation based on what they know about you. It yeah. helps. Yeah, it really does help you even with learning and navigating the world of work through my um, interactions. And I met you through volunteerism, for example. Yeah. I mean, how could I have met Raquel Moses outside <laughs> of this organization that we volunteered in, you know? Um, so you meet interesting people along the way and they actually help you. They may volunteer or be part of a panel like you did today. For <laughs> right? So, I mean... I will highly always recommend it for multiple reasons. Just a few that I've shared with you this evening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, Today on the panel, they were talking about the fact that, you know, great ideas can come from anywhere. It can come from the receptionist. It can come from anyone in any part of the organization. And I've always felt like the best ideas that I've had or the best ideas that I've been exposed to have been when one one industry cross-pollinates another industry. So I've worked across a number of different industries and you'll think, oh, well, well, everybody does things this way in one industry. And then you go to another industry and you realize it's completely different. And there are things that you would have learned in one industry that you can apply to another industry that can completely innovate what's happening there. And in that way, you know, through volunteerism, you have the ability to get exposure to different things, to, to figure out what you like, to understand, you know, be, expose yourself to things that you wouldn't otherwise be exposed to if you're in a single job. And I also love the idea that you can interact with people at all levels through this kind of um, giving of your time and your and yourself that you know, you're not having to line up and, and apply and, you know, apply for jobs in the same way as other people, because people are seeing you working, doing the work, delivering results through volunteerism, that then your name is being called in spaces that it wouldn't otherwise be called in. Yeah, exactly. I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything that you've said there and, um, and much more. And that's why for me, I tell young people all the time, say yes, don't look at it as work. Look at it as an opportunity for you to develop competencies and skills that you may not have had the exposure um, or the opportunity to so do, right? Mm -hmm. Through this organization, you find yourself, I mean, I've learned to be a good beggar, I see. And I say that <laughs> I'm good at fundraising. 
because of volunteerism. Mm -hmm. Most of these organizations are challenged with finding funds to manage themselves. I mean, we've raised funds for so many, for AIDS, for, um, for kids um, with disabilities. I mean, so many different organizations because of your network. Now you could call upon people, say, here, what do you mean? I'd be able to give me cash. You could give me goods in kind. I need mm -hmm. your support for this particular initiative. So I've learned to raise funds, utilize my network accordingly to help and enable NGOs to do the work that they do as well too. So it's all part of, again, that simple act of saying yes when being called upon to volunteer. And I encourage young people to do it. It's something that you will never regret, to be honest. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I think that's phenomenal advice. So now I'm going to turn to you as an HR practitioner, and you touched on it a little bit when you were talking about, you know, uh, you, when you're looking at two resumes, if one person has more experience and more exposure and has volunteered, you, you know, they are more likely to be shortlisted. But when we look at the landscape, and, and yes, I appreciate that we have far more diversity than we've ever had but we are a long way from where we need to be in terms of having more women, more people of color, leading organizations all, all across the, the globe. How, what, are, what are some of us getting wrong? What are we not doing in, in the application process, in the networking process? Why are we not seeing enough diversity at the leadership level of organizations. You are somebody who you see the applications come in, you see the resumes come in. What advice can you give from an HR standpoint of mistakes that you see coming in that could help people in being better candidates for roles? The thing is, um, when we engage in the recruitment and selection process, it's absolutely a game of selling, right? You are in fact selling yourself saying to a potential employer, look at me, this is what makes me unique. This is what value I'll bring to your organization, choose me. And it really starts with that document called a resume or CV. And um, that document and how we craft it, how we word it, the key things, and, and that's why I say to people, look at the job description. A lot of people apply for jobs without paying attention to re the requirements for the job. And they just see, um, I'll give you a perfect example, Raquel, corporate secretary. Mm -hmm. Every time I've advertised the corporate secretary rule, you see executive secretaries, admin assistants. I mean, and people not understanding here what this is a legal rule, you know, you yeah. have to continue at law because yeah. they're not reading and paying attention to the advertisement mm. and the job description that accompanies it. So when you look at a job description and you see, all right, you, you must be able to do specific things. Mm -hmm. You need to know through that document, call your resume or your CV, whichever one you have, um, craft it in such a way that it appeals to what they're looking for in terms of the requirements for the rule. That's one um, thing. So that's because remember, that's the first introduction yeah. to you, right? That's yeah. You yeah. Yourself. Um, what I see a lot of people doing now, that it's a definite, um, something that I will definitely not recommend is including photos on their resume, right? Um, as you rightly said, um, DEI and all these different issues that exist now, we live in a mm -hmm. world where diversity is um, at the top of everyone's tongue at this point in time. And one sure way to not be selected sometimes is to include a photo mm -hmm. because you will be doing yourself an injustice. Um, even if you think you're absolutely beautiful, 
um, someone for that, someone who may have a different um, idea of what they're looking for in that candidate from the time they see your photo, may choose not to select you. You may be too beautiful for the job, or you may be too mm -hmm. ugly for the job, or you may not be the right race, the right ethnicity, the right size, the right gender. So you don't include things that allow um, the demographic data to be determined. Let the employer or the would-be employer see what you bring to the table in terms of your past experience and highlight what you've been able to achieve. Sometimes you see people replicate the job description and not necessarily say, these were my achievements while I was here. We're not interested in um, you know, whether you had to type, whether you had to answer the phone, whether you had to prepare a budget. You have to demonstrate that you managed your budget and your budget was the sum of $500,000 and you managed it well, you never went over your budget, whether you managed, whether you managed projects and those projects were to the value of a billion dollars or less. You know, data capturing elements of measurables, KPI, things that you were able to achieve during your tenure in an organization rather than replicating what's on your job description. So that's a mistake that people make as well. And um, something that I will discourage in terms of how you prepare your resume, because again, it's your first introduction. Now, when we get to the point where you've been invited to the interview now, oh, there's so many mistakes that are made, Raquel, um, from how people dress, to the choice of jewelry, to the choice of um, hairstyles, or even nail polish colors, or the length of your, of your nail. You don't want to do things or, or dress in a way that is very distracting to a panel that will allow them or have them focusing on how you look rather than what you're seeing as well too. Mm -hmm. So that's why I always recommend neutral colors, you know, keep it simple, not too much jewelry, because you want to be totally engaged in a conversation and not someone wondering why your hair so long or why did you choose to have your hair blonde or, or yellow or pink or green, you know? So that and also recognizing that it is in fact um, a process where you are assessing the potential employer as well. So it's assessment happening on both sides. So you should treat it as a conversation and not walk into it from a fear, you know, in a position of fear. A lot of people fear the process, but recognize it's a conversation and we just want to get to know you, get to understand how you could add value to the organization, how you can make a difference, what you'll be bringing to the table. And because you've already been selected and in that space, you've already met the minimum criteria. So come in to regurgitate your, your qualifications and the experience is a definite no, but be prepared to again, speak about your achievements and if given the opportunity, what you intend to do, demonstrate that the competencies that you're looking for, that you have it. So share your experiences or the times that you've managed or dealt with situations that is similar to what you could potentially be dealing with in this job. That is what will enable you um, to be a bit, or give you the edge um, ahead of another candidate. So it's how you prepare for the interview as well and how you engage your process and the professionalism as well too. So how you follow up, how you write, even thanking the panel or sending an, into, an email saying, thank you for, for meeting with me and I look forward to hearing from you. Those things will distinguish you from another candidate. So it's just selling and how you sell yourself to say, yes, I am the right person for this job. Um, choose me and I will definitely make the difference and I will definitely contribute to the goals and objectives of your organization 
I will abide by your values, your corporate values. I share in your vision. You know, those are things. If I could sit in an interview and say, well, I recognize your vision as this, this matches my personal vision for myself and connect it to that as well. Those are the things that will make you, you know, a bit different from the other. No, but that's such great advice. And, you know, I see that all the time as well. Like you see, you know, either resumes or cover letters that come in talking about what they want. And I'm like, people don't care about what you want. People care about what they're looking for. How are you the right candidate for me? And the same way that you were talking again about, you know, putting down what you did. You know, I see so many people make this mistake with their, with their resumes, where they put down the work that they did versus how did you, what did you achieve in this role? So how did you, you know, if I'm, if I'm hiring for a, a, a corp sec, or if I'm hiring for a, a CIO, I know what that role does. What I want to know is how do you do it? What did you do in your last role to make that so incredible? What did you achieve in that role that would make you valuable to me and our organization and what we're trying to accomplish? And yes, you see people who come in and ask basic questions about the organization that's on the front page of the website. So you're like, you didn't even look at the website? Like, you don't want this job. And I think, you know, a lot of people feel like it's a numbers game in getting a job. And I'm far more of an advocate for casting a very small net that goes deep so that you are certain, listen, of these five or six jobs that I'm applying for, these are the five or six jobs that I want and I'm willing to do the work and I know that I'm a good fit uh, rather than, you know, you see people sending on mass resumes and it's just like, you didn't send this to me. You send this to, to everybody. It's not customized for me at all. Right. This isn't this isn't a job that you particularly care about. You just need a job right now. And I think especially as you get higher and higher up in the organization and you're hiring for C-level uh, people, you want to find someone who is passionate about the work that you're doing versus, well, I just need need a warm seat. Yes, most certainly. And those generic resumes and cover letters you're talking about, sometimes candidates even make the mistake of addressing it incorrectly as well yeah. because they've mass produced it and sent it out. So yeah. not even taking time to do the research and saying, okay, well, Cavell is divisional manager of HR here. So address who? Yeah. You know, it's their hiring manager, their sir or madame. You know, do the research, let the potential employer know that you, in fact, you really want to be here, that you're interested in being here, you know who the parties are, you know who the potential interview panel might be. So you walk into a space, you've already researched your organization so you can identify, you see you by his or her face because you saw it online, you yeah. know? You could identify the HR manager as well very easily. So you could extend your hand and say, yes, Miss Moses, it's a pleasure to meet you without Miss Moses even introducing herself just yet, you know, because you've done the work in advance. That to me demonstrate someone who's already you know invested in in knowing what my organization is about and knowing who the players are and who you need to impress sometimes too those things yeah. help yeah. yeah no years ago I was working I was going to jazz festival in uh, Jamaica with the CEO of Scotia Jamaica at the time and he gets to the we you know we get there together and we're we're getting in now he shouldn't he should need no introduction because it's his booth. It's Scotia's booth. And so the lady looks at me and she's like, what's your name? And I tell her my name and she checks the list and she says, okay. 
And she says, she says to him, what's your name? And he's like, I'm Bob, I'm with hospitality. And she's like, Bob with hospitality. And she doesn't realize he's joking, but he's the CEO of the person who has sponsored this, not only this event, but this booth. She is working for him and doesn't even know. Yeah. And it was just like, I just had to like pull her aside and be like, oh my God, no, he's the CEO of Scotia. Don't, don't <laughs> just let him in, yeah. you know? And this is something, if you're working for somebody, you should know, yeah. you should know who you're working for. But I mean, I think that's great advice. And, and, and we definitely need to get more, more diverse candidates, having that edge and being so specialized, helping to prepare themselves, being well volunteered so that they have a breadth of experience that they can bring to the table. What other advice would you, would you give to someone coming up, whether in HR or in another industry, good advice that you'd give them about how to navigate the world of work? Well, I often say it's important to have a mentor or coach. Um, navigating the wheel of work could be a challenge for anyone, even a seasoned professional. As you move from organization to organization, the culture is different, the people differ. Um, some systems, even always the same industry as you've shared, um, it may be the same industry, but the firm operates very different from firms operate very differently from each other. So having a coach or a mentor within the organization that you're in, because you want someone to assist you with the internal organizational politics, um, who may help you to navigate your way through the complexities of your organization, depending on the size of it as well too, who could give you good tips if you intend or you want to see how to move from one career stream to another. Because if you look at my organization, for example, highly technical engineers, project managers, facilities managers, and then there's a big administrative field, you know, um, you know, the, the, the job families, as we would say in HR. So how do I move from administration into technical or vice versa? You know, so helping, having a, a mentor coach will help you along the way with understanding and appreciating how to move, how to navigate, and even check insights into opportunities that not necessarily open on the market just yet. And that could go a long way with your career progression in an organization. Um, by having a mentor too, they could potentially advise you about where and how to socialize and to meet. We find a lot of people, they work and they go home. Now, it's good to do that time to time, but sometimes you have to take the time out to socialize and network outside of the workspace and to learn and meet and greet with people in a different space where you get to appreciate them differently. You get yeah. to humanize them. Sometimes we see CEOs and you think they're not humans or they don't yeah. enjoy a cocktail or they don't appreciate music or they don't know how to dance, right? Or they can't sing karaoke. You may see, a, I mean, an entirely different side to someone as well. All of that helps having someone to coach you along the way, teach you how to, to you know, basic etiquette in environments mm -hmm. like that as well too. Because sometimes you just don't know and you can make serious blunders that could derail your progression in an organization or your career movement. Trinidad is a very small place, very, very small. And how we treat with our current employers and the concept of burning bridges and moving mm. on and moving on on very bad terms is a definite no-no. And you find a lot of young people not understanding the entry and the exit they're equally important, right? Yeah. When you entered, you made all this effort 
um, while on probation, you were the best employee because you want to get confirmed in the job. How you exit also matters as well, too. Absolutely. And you don't want to leave a whole disaster trail behind you as well, where you burn so many bridges that you can't go back or you can't seek advice or there's someone that you left behind who could help and assist you as you as you move forward as well. All of that, a coach and a, um, or a mentor, either which way, could help you appreciate and understand because some people just don't know. And in the absence of interacting with experienced people, senior people in their field, not necessarily by age, but just by the, the volume of their experience and the breadth of their experiences, that is so critical to your success to any young person listening to this podcast. It is critical. Get yourself one. And what I will also say too is that people must be open to criticism and feedback. Don't expect always to be told how great and wonderful you are. We live in a, gen in a time where there's some generations that are not comfortable with feedback and they don't receive it very well. Um, they're not as tough skin as other generations, I would say. And you have to be okay with it because feedback helps you to hold in the skills that you thought you may have had, but you don't have just yet. And someone on the outside examining, looking in, could definitely point you to areas that you could improve. But if you're close-minded towards it, or you see it as a personal attack and not understanding and appreciating the message and what somebody is trying to share and impart onto you, you find yourself not necessarily fine-tuning and improving yourself to become a better version of yourself because you didn't receive the feedback in a positive manner or in the, in the way that the person intended for you to receive it. So you have to be comfortable with it, comfortable with honestly examining yourself and being honest with the person that you see in the reflection because not all the time we are great or we like to think we are but not all the times we are and receiving that feedback can help us to become better at what we do so um that would be my my additional bit of advice it really does help and it, it goes a long way when i sit with my team to do performance assessments um part of our meeting um includes feedback that they give to me Mm -hmm. I often like to know what I am doing to hamper your progress. If I'm not resourcing you enough, if I'm not making myself available to you enough, whatever it might be, you tell me because I want to, I want to see you succeed. I like winners, to be honest, Raquel. Mm -hmm. I like to have a winning team, right? Yeah. So anything that I could do to make you better at your job, anything that you need, you tell me and let's see if I can make it happen for you. But I don't want anyone sitting on my team upset and unhappy not feeling that they could be open and honest, not feeling that they could be vulnerable mm. or transparent with me. I don't want that at all. We are all humans. There's a bit of humanity in all of us. And I want all of us to be vulnerable and share from time to time. So you see that we're human. We humanize the workspace. So we recognize when we have our moments, when we, we're down and out, and when we at the top of our game but we all working in the same direction towards a particular goal and objective. And that's that's how I treated my team, to be honest. I have a really good HR team, I must say. I'm a young, dynamic team, and they're a pleasure to work with. And they understand me now. In the beginning, it wasn't always like that because I was new. I'm, I'm, I was fairly new to the organization. But now um, we're running like a, a well-gel machine, and it's because of that approach, you know, where I say, you tell me. 
tell me what I could do better. What I what in fact I say, do I annoy you in any way? I've asked someone that already. Tell me that I could you from time to time. Because I know I could be, especially when I remember something or want something done, I'm like, hey, don't forget to like so I may remind you a thousand times. <laughs> tell me what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think such great points because you know, for me, the the taking criticism and feedback, I have to decide what do I want to be? Do I want to be right in this moment or do I want to be excellent? I want to be excellent. So I'm willing to take on the feedback because it means that I'm always learning. I'm always growing. I'm always becoming better because I, you know, I refuse to believe that I'm done. I have to, I have to have the ability to continue to be better. And you were talking about our market is a small market. But let me tell you something. I have left Trinidad and gone to South Africa and run into people I know. I've gone to Nigeria and run into people I know. I've been all over the globe and run into people I know. The earth is small. You will work for an organization, burn a bridge, and turn up in the next organization and run into people that you know, or run into people who know the people where you burnt that bridge. You know, I, I say to my family and my team all the time, we are not in the business of making enemies. We are in the business of making friends. So we will end every relationship amicably because you just don't have the, you just don't have the bandwidth for it. You don't have the, the, the capital to be burning bridges. That's just not a thing that we do anymore. Fully agreed. And um, as I say to my team as well, we are in the yes business. Mm -hmm. So we find ways to make things happen. We, we find ways to resolve problems, to help with solutions. All of that helps in championing our role as practitioners in the organization and making us um, useful or, or not useful, but um, certainly a strategic member of the organization as well too. So in addition to not burning the bridges, make yourself useful as well too and needed in an organization as well yeah thank you so much thank you so much Cavell Cavell Joseph St. Omar the president of Hermat as well as a member of the board of directions directors of the National Training Agency and the public relations officer of the Arthur Lovejack Graduate School of Business alumni she is an absolute one to watch, an innovator, trailblazer, and, and someone who gave us really great advice about navigating the world of work and how do you get into those spaces and get your name called in the spaces where you want to be. Thank you so much for staying with us and listening to this episode. And I hope if you haven't already that you will subscribe and join us on this journey to get more diversity at the leadership level of all of our organizations. If you want it, if you can dream it, if it is part of the journey that you are on, stick with it. It belongs to you. Thank you so much. Bye.